Khuni, The Crimes of India is a thoroughly researched podcast that uses publicly available documents, reports and books and associated media to provide listeners with a complete picture of the week's case. The following content is often graphic and regularly uncomfortable. Mentions of assault, bodily harm and death may follow. Khuni, The Crimes of India does not condone any actions mentioned in the episode. Minors are advised to exercise caution before proceeding. Thank you. Imagine a crowded pub in the heart of posh South Delhi. There are people everywhere. Psychedelic lights and loud music have numbed every other sense. The free-flowing booze does not help. The dance floor is jam-packed. No one seems to mind. It's almost closing time. The bar is officially closed and the patrons are having their last hurrah. Then suddenly, out of nowhere, people hear gunshots before anyone can even realize what's happening the pretty bartender with long wavy hair has collapsed on the ground Namaste, Namaskaram. Welcome to today's episode of Khuni. How's everyone doing? I'm Sneha, sitting in Hyderabad, and joining me, as usual, is Aditi, who's sitting in Lucknow. What's up, dude? <laughs> <laughs> so I was randomly scrolling for some crime-related news, you know, as one does, and I came across the story of this girl who chopped off her own tongue. word of coronavirus <laughs> ostensibly <laughs> what the hell yeah and my, and you know my first thought was okay there is a pandit involved for sure right yeah. and then yeah. i saw the ha huh, and then i saw the actual reporting so some tenacious journalist actually went down to the village and spoke to the girl and her family it turns out that the girl was just extremely superstitious okay so Wait, she just went how to the, can the girl speak i thought she cut off her tongue i mean she sorry. yeah she, she cut off the tip of her tongue so she went to the temple with her sister she cut off the tip of her tongue it was like a weird religious frenzy but like a regular old weird religious frenzy you know you can't chalk it up to corona not everything can be blamed on corona that's the lesson i took away from it <laughs> so that was the last crime related news i read imagine being the journalist though i think that was that was like some top notch ground level journalism okay seriously it was no that <laughs> I'm not is joking i admire it. the guy or the girl whoever did the reporting Lady. that's all oh yeah the yeah. person that's great but imagine the first time that person must have heard the <laughs> what am i supposed to do i'm supposed to do what <laughs> right now that we are finished with that <laughs> As you can all see today we're talking about the Jessica Lal murder case. Yep, Manu Sharma was recently released from Tihar prison and we started getting like this horde of messages. When are you covering Jessica Lal? When are you covering Jessica Lal? Sneha, <laughs> when are you covering Jessica Lal? Aditi, when are you covering Jessica Lal? So we thought why not do it right now. Ha, ah, so According to us, 
this case represents everything that is wrong with the indian criminal justice system like every single thing and to be very honest it was cases like this that made aditi and i decide to start this podcast these cases are as interesting as they are frustrating yeah totally remember when we watched the movie they made out of this fiasco i mean it was insane yeah oh my god college times <laughs> yep it was it was kind of emasculating to see how the justice system was failing the victim at every single turn like on your big screen in real time yeah man true so before we begin let's acknowledge our sources shall we we watched the star news and tehelka expose episodes a couple of ndtv videos we'll link all of them in the show notes uh, we also read many many articles from the quint the hindu and of course we read all the related uh, judgments from various courts yeah friday and saturday and i'm being super honest <laughs> i put all of my work work aside and i just went into this weird um this labyrinth yeah oh, you were sorry. in a weird labyrinth of judicial yeah. ineptitude yes 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 and i just went so deep into this i didn't know whether whether i was in india kanun or i was reading wikipedia at one point <laughs> everything just <laughs> became one <laughs> all right the facts of the case are these You know, I always wanted to say that when I was practicing, and I actually did try it out once before the Honorable High Court of Telangana. So I had to argue this ancient appeal, and it was like a sleepy Friday afternoon, and I could see that the like just looking at the judge's face, I could see he had his fair share of Hyderabadi biryani for lunch, and he's just <laughs> waiting for the clock to strike four fifteen so he can just get the fuck out of there. and then i'm all like blah blah, blah 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 like i did the whole intro may it please your lordship and blah 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 and then i said the facts of the case are these he just literally <laughs> stood like he just like he just, i could see the moment he woke up <laughs> so can i make this a thing here <laughs> make a way baba it's our podcast we can do whatever we want yay so the facts of the case are these It was April 29, 1999, a Thursday night. Jessica Lal, a 34-year-old local actress and model, was working as a celebrity bartender in a private party at the Tamarind Court restaurant in Meroli, a southwest district of Delhi. She was working alongside fellow actor Shyam Munshi, who happened to be a very good friend of hers. By midnight, the bar had run out of liquor, and anyway, it would have been closed. because liquor sales in delhi had to stop at 12:30 am there were about 100 people or so at the restaurant that night including manu sharma he had arrived at the tamrin court along with three friends amardeep singh gill vikas yadav and alok khanna at around 11:15 pm the bar closed at midnight but you know how in all parties there always be those few who attempt to buy a few more drinks afterwards this place had the same manu was the last person to ask for alcohol he walked up to the bar again at around 2 am to order another drink after he was told that the bar was closed he offered jessica 1000 rupees to give him a drink she refused manu got angry 
he fired two shots one at the ceiling and the other at jessica she was hit near her temple and collapsed an ambulance was called and she was rushed to apollo hospital where she was pronounced dead a few hours later in the confusion that followed manu and his friends fled the scene manu sharma was pointed out as the shooter by numerous witnesses including jessica lal's fellow bartender shayan munshi police who by then started looking into the case could not make contact with manu's family yeah they were all absconding so manu sharma and his family eluded the police for a few days all with the help of uh, manu's accomplices khanna and gil remember manu's friends from earlier but they were all arrested on 4th may and manu on 6th may the murder weapon was not recovered the police thought it could have been passed on to a friend who had been visiting from the us and who may subsequently have returned there the case by now involved several prominent people manu sharma was the son of vinod sharma who at the time of the shooting was a former minister of in the national government and by the time of the subsequent trial was already a minister in the haryana state government Sharma was born in 1977. His uncle was the son-in-law of former president of India, Shankar Dayal Sharma. The family owned two sugar mills in Haryana and Punjab, and in the late 1990s, Sharma was known to be a regular party goer. We only give these details just to illustrate how connected Sharma was. Yeah, he was your typical Delhi rich kid who grew up to be a douche. Okay, like no respect for anyone but himself. He had asthma growing up so he was doted on by his mother. Yeah, more of a mama's boy than most Indian men. And that is a lot. Like he knew he had clout and he knew he was not af- and he was not afraid to throw his weight around. And lastly, it is quite clear that he had absolutely no respect for women. I'm sure everyone knows someone like him. He was educated at the elite Mayo College in Ajmer then completed 2 years of undergrad courses in commerce at a college in Chandigarh his friend Vikas Yadav was the son of another state politician Amardeep Singh Gill the other friend was a manager of a soft drink bottling unit at Chandigarh Beena Ramani who was the hostess of the party where this had all gone down had redeveloped the premises where the party took place She was a socialite and a fashion designer who had contacts in high places and whose daughter Malini Ramani had known Jessica as a fellow model and actress. Amit Jhigan was another accomplice of Manu. He was arrested on 8th May and charged with conspiring to destroy evidence as it was believed that he had retrieved the pistol from its original hiding place near the bar. Ostensibly, Beena Ramani had thrown the party uh as a farewell function for her husband but it had become very clear very soon that the party had in fact been open to anybody who was willing to pay which is how manu sharma got in ramani her husband and her daughter malini were all arrested on the same day as uh, amit jhigan they were charged with operating an illegal bar and although released on bail had to surrender their passports There were several lines of inquiry regarding the family including whether or not Ramani a UK national had the necessary permits to operate a business in India 
Another concern was to establish whether or not she had concealed evidence by ordering the cleanup of blood at the premises. Although by 19th May it had been announced that the charges relating to this alleged destruction of evidence would not be brought. Vikas Yadav presented himself to the police on 19th May but was able to leave immediately because he had acquired anticipatory bail papers. He claimed to have been in Mumbai and elsewhere during the previous few weeks and he refused to comment uh, on whether he had been in contact with his father. He admitted that Sharma had stayed with him on the night of the murder but denied being present himself at the Tamarind court or any knowledge uh, or that he had any knowledge of the events that had occurred there until the next day when he told Manu to surrender to the police. During police interrogation Manu initially confessed to the murder. However, the confession was later dismissed as evidence due to a procedural technicality committed by the police. Charge sheets were filed with the court on August 3, 1999. Sharma was charged with murder, destruction of evidence and other offenses, while Khanna, Gill and Yadav faced lesser charges including destruction of evidence, conspiracy and harboring a suspect. The state in this case had four key witnesses. The first one was actor Shayan Munshi who was standing next to Jessica when she was shot. He was a good friend of Jessica's and Shayan Munshi was the complainant in this case. Here's what he told the police. I was present at the scene. A man in a white t-shirt came along with two or three other men and asked Jessica for drinks. She told them that the party was over and that the bar was closed. The white shirt man then fired a shot to the ceiling and then shot Jessica and fled. The second key witness was Karan Rajput. He was the restaurant manager's uncle and he happened to be there in the party as well. Here's what he told the police. I was sitting next to the piano which was opposite the bar. At around 2 a.m. that night, a man wearing a white shirt along with three or four of his friends came to the bar. The white shirt man asked for alcohol. When he did not get the alcohol, he shot Jessica. He first fired his gun at the ceiling and then shot his gun at Jessica's face. The third key witness was Shivdas, who was the resident electrician at the Tamarind court. He said, "On the night in question, a fair fat man aged around 30 years old dressed in a white t-shirt came along with his friends. The white t-shirt man was talking to Jessica. Suddenly, he took out a pistol from his pant, shot one bullet to the roof and shot another one at Jessica." The last key witness was Prem Sagar Manocha, the then deputy director of the Rajasthan State Forensic Science Laboratory Jaipur. The cartridges which were collected from the crime scene were sent to the Jaipur lab by the police in December 1999 for a second opinion after the Delhi Central Forensic Science Laboratory raised the two gun theory in a report submitted a month later. So armed with the Jaipur labs court and court favorable opinion which came out in February 2000 the prosecution made manocha a key witness it was to be the prosecution's case that only one weapon had been used in the murder of jessica lal so this seems like an open and shut case right like there are four witnesses the main accused has already confessed to the police and the party had around 100 attendees 
so could not be more open and shut right wrong you see in court as tom cruise very rightly says in a movie few good men it doesn't matter what i believe it only matters what i can prove we'd like to tweak that a little and say it doesn't matter what happened it only matters what you can prove in court shit hit the fan the four main accused turn hostile one by one here is what they ultimately told the court shayan munshi the first key witness and the complainant claimed on the stand that the statement he had signed was written in hindi a language he allegedly did not understand he said that he saw manu sharma fire the pistol into the air but another person had fired the shot that killed jessica but he said that he hadn't seen the person who shot jessica sabrina who was jessica's younger sister could not hide her emotions when uh, munshi refused to identify the accused she rushed out of the court in tears the second witness karan rajput testified that he wasn't even at the party the third witness shivdas testified that during the events of the night he wasn't even in the room he claimed that he was on the terrace putting off the lights after the party had ended yadav claimed that he went into the cafe only at about 2 am after hearing some noises and the sound of two firecrackers he said that bina ramani was walking ahead so he followed her inside the cafe and he saw jessica lal lying injured on the floor sabrina told an interviewer later that she met shivdas yadav at the police station when he was giving his testimony he looked so scared and she could not blame him because the opposition had so much money and power they can use it to pressure a person like yadav since he is not backed by anyone and she was right By the end of the hearings, four of the main witnesses who said that they were present on the night of the murder turned hostile by retra- retracting their initial statements. Nearly three hundred other party goers claimed to have not attended the event, or that they had left before the incident had even occurred. It should also be mentioned that Bina and her daughter Malini and her husband George all identified Manu Sharma in court. Seven years after the case was opened. On 21st February 2006, nine of the 12 accused were acquitted, including Manu Sharma. Jhingan had already been discharged. The prosecution had been affected by 32 of their witnesses becoming hostile. The trial judge commented after the outcome that the court had acquitted them because Delhi police failed to sustain the grounds on which they had built up their case. The police failed to recover the weapon which was used to fire as at Jessica as well as prove their theory that the two cartridges emptied shells of which were recovered from the spot were fired from one weapon guess who got a promotion after that this sad sack of a trial judge yep we're not even kidding his promotion was in fact pushed until 2006 when he rendered this judgment meaning that the promotion was dangled over him for a favorable judgment for manu sharma moving on The acquittal unleashed a rare outrage in India just as it had raised uncomfortable questions about the uneven course of justice in a society ever more polarized between the well-heeled and the rest. After his acquittal by the trial court, Manu Sharma was ostracized with SMS campaigns being sent out to boycott all establishments the Sharmas owned. As the New York Times put it, 
Most noticeably among India's urban middle class, the acquittal has released a pent-up frustration with an often blundering and corrupt law enforcement bureaucracy and a deep disgust with the rich and famous, who by all appearances manipulated it to their advantage. V.N. Khare, who was a former Chief Justice of India, implicitly criticised the trial judge, saying that it should have been an open and shut case, and that sometimes even the police, the prosecution and lawyers all have connections with criminals, and in such cases, the judges should be slightly proactive. He should try to get to the truth and not totally depend on the evidence provided in the court. In a case like this, he's not going to get proper evidence. Mostly, the judiciary is dependent on the evidence provided by the investigative agencies. But now, when the situation is so bad, the judges have to wake up, be proactive, and find the truth. So, NDTV, which is a media house in India, started a campaign urging the viewers to petition for a new trial. In a matter of days, more than 2 lakh cell phone text messages had poured in. Citizens of Delhi came out in droves to carry out candlelight vigils demanding justice for Jessica. These vigils were carried out near India Gate. Many of our younger listeners, the Gen Zs, may not be aware, but this was around the time Rangde Basanti had come out and similar protests were being carried out in the movie, if the older millennials remember. The vigils had no specific organizer, but the details were circulated through text messages and people just showed up maybe inspired by the movie, or maybe they were just angry. In Chandigarh, Manu Sharma's home, an activist group (laughs) called the Middle Finger Group organized middle finger protests, which is exactly what it sounds like. With the growing pressure from the public, the Delhi High Court admitted the appeal on this case on March 26, 2006, literally a month after the acquittal. It was not a retrial, as people were demanding, but an appeal based on evidence that was already shown in the lower courts and mainly due due to a re-examination of the bullet casings found at the scene. Now, while this was happening, a Delhi-based magazine, Tehelka, embarked on an extensive mission to uncover the truth behind the accusations of bribery and corruption against Sharma's father. The results of the undercover operation were revealed on September 9, 2006 in a detailed primetime show broadcasted by Star News and NDTV exposing that the witnesses had indeed turned quote-unquote hostile but also reaffirming what all of India already knew. So if you all remember Shayan Munshi who was literally just a two-bit Bollywood starlet claimed not to know Hindi. So Tehelka journalists posing as a casting agent and the producer of a Indo-British bilingual production, armed with a spy cam, spoke to Shayan for about 20 minutes in Mumbai. Shayan, according to Tehelka, showed off his portfolio and discussed the script. When prodded by the casting agent to show off his Hindi, Shayan said that he was comfortable in the language. He learned it in classes 6 and 7 in Don Bosco school in Kolkata. He said that, Aap mujhe chitti dijiye, main sambal lunga. You give me the letter, I will manage. When they asked him whether the ongoing case would allow him to shoot in the UK and Germany. He in fact offered his own take on the case. 
what's the use of arresting Bina Ramani? Everyone knows what happened. He also admitted, they're all powerful people. So we link this interview in our show notes. You guys have to watch it. Like he's a smug bitch sitting in this restaurant and acting all diva-ish. Okay, he's just like typical Bollywood star behavior. You can see by his demeanor that he really doesn't give a fuck that his so-called friend was shot. Right, let's move on to the next witness, Karan Rajput. He died in Jan 2005 of liver cirrhosis. And investigations by Tehelka revealed that his treatment ran up bills of up to 80,000 in two Delhi hospitals. And in 2005, 80,000 was an expensive amount. In fact, for Aditi and I, 80,000 even now is a huge amount. Yeah, it is. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so... Karan Rajput's nephew, Jitender Raj, who was a waiter at the Tamarind Court, his friend Surinder and his landlord, Rajbir Singh, were filmed on tape admitting that Karan made about 25 lakh from the Sharmas. He never worked after the murder, said Jitender. Wow. Aditi, would you do this for 25 lakhs? I would kill myself, I think. (laughs) It would be on my conscience too much. Yeah, so the reporter asked them who paid for the bills and all three said they had accompanied Karan to the Sharma properties in Delhi, Chandigarh and Manali. Apparently, money was also paid through cheque and it went into an account held by one Arjun Rajput. Yeah, this was all said on tape. Like, you can hear all of them talking about this. But Karan also apparently tried to play a double game. Dude, yeah. So, Sabrina Lal, Jessica Lal's sister, told Tehelka that she had paid him 30000 as he was jobless and had no money. Sabrina told the reporters that Karan told her that he was under immense pressure from the Sharmas, but he would still speak the truth in court. When he finally testified, he said that he was not even in Delhi the night Jessica was killed. Yeah, he later told Sabrina that the Sharmas had even picked up his mother. And in the tapes, you can see that all these three men were laughing. Okay, And they sounded very nonchalant, almost as if they were impressed with Karan for earning such big money in such a short time. It's kind of like disturbing to watch. And remember the electrician, Shivdas? He admitted on tape that he was majboor forced and he had no choice. In fact, when the undercover reporters from Tehelka approached him and tried to talk to him about the case, he appeared very scared and did not talk at all. So, Tehelka's Harinder Bhaveja. This lady, by the way, is the mastermind behind this whole sting operation. So, she called him up and posed as Jessica's sister, Sabrina. It was then that he said, everyone knew what happened and who did it. He said that we are low-class people and we cannot do anything about this. His words. He even tells her that he cannot help her. He says that his family is from UP and he's scared for them. He admitted that what he told the police was the truth. When, quote-unquote, Sabrina tried to appeal to his humanity, he said, let the rich folks first show their humanity, then I will follow. Yeah. For us, this part was probably the most heartbreaking to watch. You can really see that he was threatened. And 
most likely that his family was also threatened right so manu sharma's father vinod sharma was named in the expose as the one who had paid money to some of the witnesses and facing pressure from the central congress leaders vinod sharma resigned from the haryana cabinet yeah vinod with an e there is only so far you can go to clean up after your son <laughs> so after this delhi police sought the original unedited tapes of the sting operation carried out by tehelka and the news channel cooperated on 15th december 2006 the high court ruled that sharma was guilty based on existing evidence they also criticized the trial judge we earlier talked about the judgment said that the lower court had been lax in not considering the testimony of the witnesses such as bina ramani and regarding the treatment of bina ramani's evidence in the lower court the delhi high court categorically stated this and this is a direct quote from the judgment with great respect to the learned judge here the trial judge we point out that this manner of testing the credibility of the witness is hardly a rule of appreciation of evidence obviously this this reflects a total lack of application of mind and suggests a hasty approach towards securing a particular end namely the acquittal so clearly the trial court was not a big fan of munshi's and criticized his actions The judgment says of his earlier repudiation of the FIR that Munshi is now claiming that the said statement was recorded in Hindi while he had narrated the whole story in English as he did not know Hindi at all. We do not find this explanation to be convincing. Then regarding Munshi's testimony that two guns were involved the judgment says in court he has taken a somersault and come out with a version that there are two gentlemen at the bar counter. we have no manner of doubt on this aspect that he is telling a complete lie yeah you go high court you go delhi high court <laughs> <laughs> on 20th december 2006 sharma was punished with a sentence of life imprisonment and a fine the other accused yadav and gill his accomplices were also fined and given 4 years of rigorous imprisonment a plea for sharma to be sentenced to death was rejected on the grounds that murder although intentional was not premeditated and sharma was not considered to be a threat to society so we just want to make it clear that although india has the death penalty uh, in the law books it is given only in the rarest of rare cases and this probably did not qualify in that On 19th April 2010 the Supreme Court of India further approved the sentences and said that the evidence regarding the actual incident the testimonies of the witnesses the evidence connecting the vehicles and cartridges to Manu Sharma as well as his conduct after the incident proved his guilt beyond reasonable doubt the high court has analyzed all the evidence and arrived at the correct conclusion now let's talk about Ram Jaitmalani This is a new name Ram Jaitmalani was the defense counsel for Manu Sharma in the Supreme Court. He criticized the high court verdict alleging that the media had prejudged the issue and conducted a campaign to vilify his client. Now okay the stunts Jaitmalani tried to pull and the statements he made in court would have gotten any lesser known advocate <laughs> thrown out of the court and ensured contempt proceedings were initiated against him we are not even kidding trust us he tried to bring a whole new angle to this case by saying that jessica was shot for not giving this man who shot her 
what he wanted and the drink story was just a covered he said that jessica had quote and quote challenged the manhood of the man who shot her <laughs> i don't even know what this means anymore okay if you live in india a man's manhood can be challenged if you so much as whisper the word feminist and to the men in our audience if you're offended by this statement please consider your manhood challenged and if you are not then a sincere congratulations on crossing the toxic masculinity barrier jade malani even questioned jessica's character because she worked in a bar okay first of all she was not a regular bartender she was a celebrity bartender hired specifically for that night she was a model and an actress but even then you cannot challenge a woman's character when she is the victim dude it's funny you should say that remember that conference we went to in mohali and how he flirted with that principal of that law college oh my god i mean god bless his soul and everything and he was a crafty litigator but he was quite the horn dog and he was quite old when we saw him yeah sneha and i once wrote a paper to be presented at army law school in mohali <laughs> where jeet malani was the guest of honor This was a man in his 90s and he was smooth like scotch. He lost no time in complimenting the female principal of the college on stage and then yeah. he goes to court and judges a woman for her goddamn job. And we would also like to make it clear that Jade Malani was a bigamist. Yeah, he had two wives. This was yeah. obviously the both his marriages had taken place before bigamy was outlawed in India but still the man had two wives let that sink in okay i will also say this as a lawyer myself i have a lot of respect for defense lawyers their jobs are not easy they are vilified a lot and to be perfectly clear the constitution of this country allows everyone to be represented in court this is not a rant about jeet malani's decision to represent manu sharma but at the same time victim blaming is a common tactic among defense amongst defense lawyers when the victim is female it seems like it doesn't even matter what the crime is i mean i have seen rape cases of minor girls as young as 13 14 when the defense lawyers have pointed out to the victim and told the court that yes the victim is underage but the statutory rape is not statutory rape because she seems older for her age because she is sexually promiscuous to a 14 year old child he also argued that the man who shot jessica was not actually his client but a tall punjabi gentleman basically he was concocting a story based on the lie that shine when she had told in the court the first time so let us tell you a bit about what manu sharma got up to in tihar in the book black warrant which which is basically a look into tihar written by mr sunil gupta who was a jailer there and he incidentally played badminton with first charles sobraj as his partner and then manu sharma as his partner and that was this book is like a basic tell all about what happens behind tihar's walls you guys should read it and i did a review of it in one of the shorties check it out maybe you'll like it so Manu's family bought the Hilton Hotel which was around 4 kilometers from Tihar and renamed it to Piccadilly. Get this. Manu's food used to come from there. Jailers were wined and dined there. And starting in 2006 when Manu started serving his sentence in Tihar, the superintendent, the deputy superintendent and many others in Tihar 
became a part of the quote-unquote Sharma payroll. Yeah. Manu got jobs for at least 50 relatives of the jail staffers in Piccadilly. Imagine that. So if a jail staff member had a wedding in the family, the hotel would cater food for them. If the jail staff member wanted to host the wedding in the hotel, the wedding would take place in the hotel. Yes, all this for an inmate. But Manu Sharma was very smart. He did not do this openly. In jail, he was a model prisoner. If an officer entered the room, he would stand up like anybody else. He was very soft-spoken and he was also responsible for expanding TJ's the brand under which products made by the Tihar prisoners are sold. But ladies and gentlemen, please do not let this so-called good deed distract you from everything else he did in Tihar. Yeah, so on September 24, 2009, the government in Delhi paroled Sharma for a 30-day period so that he could attend some matters relating to his thick mother and the family business. 30 days. He got parole for 30 days. The parole was in fact extended by another 30 days during which he was seen partying in a late in a nightclub and his mother appeared at public functions. He was apparently even seen getting into a brawl in a nightclub during these 30 days. Can you believe it? <laughs> yeah, following this, Sharma returned himself to Tihar on 10th November 2009 two weeks before his parole expired. He was also granted parole several times after this. At one time, he said he had to go write his LLB exams. Oh my God. (laughs) And another time, he said he had to go get his marriage registered. Who was marrying Manu Sharma? What, What deranged woman thought that she could marry Manu Sharma and be happy in life? Dude, if money can buy you jail comforts, money can definitely buy you a wife. So the question that we have to ask here is, would a poor prisoner have gotten parole for these quote-unquote reasons? Indian activists like Safura Zargar, Sudha Bhardwaj, Sharjeel Imam, they have all been languishing in jail for months. They haven't even been charged yet. Yep, they're all under trials. Safura is pregnant, Sudha is a senior citizen, and Sharjeel is just a student. Yeah. So, from November 2017, considering his good behavior during the jail time, Manu Sharma was moved to an open jail, meaning he was allowed to leave his jail cell every day whenever he wanted and return in the evening. In 2018, Sabrina Lal, the only surviving member of the Lal family, said in a letter to the welfare office of the Tihar jail that she had no objection to the release of Siddharth. to the release of Manu Sharma as he had spent 15 years in prison. She said in an interview, I wrote that I had no objection to his release. It was a long and hardest fight. It was very difficult. It's not easy to go back to a normal life. After he was convicted, one started feeling better about oneself and there was a load lifted that at least justice had been served. It takes years, but it does not happen quickly. But had she forgiven him? Asked the journalist in the interview. And she said, you have to forgive. If you hold on to hate and revenge, you cannot move on. Forgiveness is something you have to feel. You can never forget, but you need to forgive at some point. 
in latest in the latest development on june 2 2020 the delhi lieutenant governor allowed the release of sharma from tihar jail after recommendation by the sentence review board this decision was taken by the review board on 13th may under chairmanship of the delhi home minister satyendra jain manu sharma was actually supposed to end on may 6 so this case has brought to light the many issues that have haunted and to a large extent continue to haunt the indian criminal justice system as we said in the beginning in india you cannot look at a crime in isolation you have to always look at a crime in conjunction with society and the parts of society that the main players in the crime come from it's not just a simple case of a rich man shooting a bartender because she refused him a drink the issue here is entitlement this is a country with an unapologetic preference for the male child just look at our child sex ratios and look at haryana's child sex ratio where the sharmas are from haryana is always the worst performer a male child is treated like prize china my personal phrase for this is the raja beta <laughs> syndrome raja beta is a hindi phrase which all parents call their sons and it loosely translates to my royal child or my prince like child because that's how sons are treated in indian families like royalty they're indulged their bad behavior is forgiven always they they always have the first right on all the good things the family can afford and sometimes things that family cannot afford misogyny is so firmly ingrained in their dna that it becomes a way of life for them a woman is just a means to an end be it for food for cleaning or for sex and that night in the pub when manu sharma who had never been denied a thing in his life was told by a female bartender an entity he didn't even consider human that he couldn't have his drink it enraged him and he killed her there is a second issue of caste and class manu sharma was a brahmin he was rich he came from an influential family and i can already anticipate a barrage <laughs> of comments complaining that we are making this about caste but in this day and age knowing what we know about india's history we cannot pretend that caste does not carry privilege jessica lal on the other hand was a member from was a minority she came from a middle class family as a rich influential brahmin man manu sharma is the epitome of privilege in this country there is absolutely no conceivable privilege he does not have none nada and he could use it to escape justice in a case that was supposed to be open and shut maybe that's why common indians took to the streets it's one thing to be born with privilege but it's another when the country you live in guarantees you equality before law and equal protection of law but fails to uphold it when it is needed the most every indian protesting this acquittal was doing so because they felt hopeless an entire trial had been bought off from the witnesses to the police to the judge every single check and balance meant to prevent miscarriage of justice was fixed by the sharmas there was a palpable feeling of you know this could be me yeah true and this is i can feel we are in the exact same scenario even 10 20 years after this situation has happened yeah yeah absolutely this has not gone away it's been a hallmark of indian criminal justice system it has remained so 
Yeah, another thing this case, you know, that made us all think about is the witness protection program and how India never had that concept. India even now has very hazy guidelines on this. The Supreme Court, in fact, in 2018, uh, gave its seal of approval to a draft witness protection plan prepared by the government. The plan, called the Witness Protection Scheme, was to have been implemented by all the states. And interestingly, the first demands for this type of a program were made after this case. Yeah, so I followed this case growing up. I remember as a nine, as a 10, 11 year old, feeling angry and even upset about the situation. And now in my late 20s, I still feel the same level of anger at how easily money can help manipulate anything in this country. I mean, even now, fucking Manu Sharma has a Wikipedia page, but all we know about Jessica is that she was a model who was shot dead. Literally, like there is the page itself is called Murder of Jessica Lal. There is no page anywhere that talks about what Jessica Lal was before she was murdered. And that just makes me so angry. Right, that is the story of the Jessica Lal murder case. Let us know what you think. Follow us on our socials. Keep writing to us. We enjoy hearing from you all. If you have any query, inside info on any of the cases we covered, a story you would like us to cover, let us know. Aditi will see you this week with her shorty. And until then, have a great week ahead. Stay positive and don't forget to wash your hands. Bye. Bye.